welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. And my name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast. And today I'm going the Australian path again. There's so many good Australian coaches to get through, um, but I'm going into Sydney. So I've got Charles Carrez on the line today. Thanks for coming in, Charles. My pleasure. Thank you. Mate, I'm, probably the first thing I have to ask you straight off the bat is how are you going in COVID lockdown? You guys had a pretty good run for a while, but now you're obviously in lockdown. How have you found that? Uh, it's been quite tough, um, but I've looked more towards how I'm going to come out of it rather than dealing with what's happening during COVID. So, for example, I'll still go to work. I'm not giving too many lessons at the moment due to um, 5K restrictions and other things like that. Um, I give the occasional lesson, but... I'm just preparing for when we come out of it. You know, I'm not looking at the financial financial aspect of it too much at the moment, um, because if you look at that too much, um, you'll probably do your head in. So um, I'm just looking at what it's going to look like in a couple of months, and then how we're going to move forward and um, enjoy coaching and golf after that. It's it's been a challenging time for you guys out there coaching full time. I certainly don't envy your your role at at the current times. It's certainly been been fun, but hopefully we can get some vaccinations in people's arms and start getting people back to some sort of normal in the near future. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, it is. So for those that don't know you, can you tell us your story to start with? My story? So where I've sort of come from, how yeah, I get into yeah, golf? Let's, yeah. Let's start so, from there. Okay, so I started when I was about 14 years of age. Uh, my father got me into golf or playing sort of social golf. He got me into a social club just sort of playing. Um, one of his business partners, his son, um, we would go play a bit of golf and just muck around at an old public course. Um, eventually, uh, one of the professionals at Royal Canberra Golf Club uh, saw some sort of potential in me, and that was Nigel Wilson, who is the son of Neville Wilson, who used to be, I think, the, the chairman of the PGA at one stage. There's um, a PGA history there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, And I was at a point where you know, I was going fine through schooling, no problem. And then I had a choice of, you know, do I want to go into a golfing sort of avenue or do I want to just keep studying, go to university and do what my parents probably expected me to do? Um, but Nigel, he um, gave me an opportunity to do an, a traineeship, which was what it was called back in the day. That's changed now. And, um, you know, with his help and his guidance, he gave me a position at Royal Canberra Golf Club, which I'm a member at and was a member at back then as well. And from there, did the three years, um, you know, won a few events as well, which was great. Uh, past academics, no problem. And I went and played uh, around the world, which was great. I had my coach, which was Gary Barter. So I would move, I would basically drive up from uh, Royal Canberra to the Australian pretty much on a weekly or fortnightly basis and have lessons with him. And I did that for probably about, uh, I would say, close to 14 years. Oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah, and that, and that, I mean, give or take when I was away playing tournaments, obviously I wouldn't see him as much, but um, I spent a lot of time with him. Uh, as I said, I played around the world, had the fortunate, uh, fortunate um, time to get to play in the Australian Masters when it was in Huntingdale before it stopped happening. Yeah. yeah. So that, was, that was a pretty cool experience. Uh, I played tour schools in Europe. I played Australasian events. Um, so been and played a lot. But it got to a point where I felt that um, touring just wasn't my thing. So I came back to Royal Canberra. There was four other teaching professionals there. I thought I've got to get into coaching. I love the game. I want to teach people um, how they can be better. They can achieve whatever they want. Someone from just simply stop slicing the ball to, or to someone who wanted to uh, become a tour professional. Uh, so the first thing I did there uh, was I bought a TrackMan, a K-Vest, and a PutLab. So I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of those programs. Um, TrackMan, you know, launch monitor that's used around the world. Sam PutLab that's used for putting, one of the best programs in the world. And KVest is a biomechanic program. So I bought those because I felt there's four other teaching professionals at the club. Why would someone want to choose me to have golf lessons with? So I had the technology. I went and became accredited. So therefore, when I gave lessons, I was able to give the members and their guests um, more information about the golf game. So that's that's how that all began. And um, from there, we just 
went from there. Just just worked hard, giving lots of lessons, you know, seven days a week. You know, the general manager at the time made comments, you know, Charles was basically like someone coming out of the wall. You know, I was there all the time. So I think that's <laughs> sort of the phrase he used. Uh, but, you know, I had to work hard and I was there seven days a week, um, you know, including my days off because how else was I going to build my clientele? How else was I going to get them to appreciate uh, me as a coach and to show them that I appreciate them as my students? Um, I think that's probably one of the most important things as a coach that you need to do is strong communication and show the student that you actually care about them. So um, it's hard work at the start, but then once you get used to it and you build relationships with your um, clients, um, nothing's hard. Mate, there's so many things in that, that answer just to, to talk about, to start the conversation. Mate, where do I Sorry. start? Um, so playing, so touring. So you played overseas yeah. as well or, or tried to play overseas. How was that? I tried to play a bit. So I went, uh, yeah, I went to a European tour school, so I tried to play over there a little bit, uh, but that didn't work out as well as I'd like it to. So basically just played the Australian events. As I said, like, you know, the New South Wales Open, New South Wales PGAs, um, you know, lots of pro-ams. I said the Australian Masters. But then I went and played some of the um, Pacific Island events, such as the New, Ca- New Caledonia Open, uh, Papua, um, not Papua New Guinea, um, Vanuatu Open, uh, Samoa. You know, sort of played those type of events, Tahiti, just to sort of build more experience. So then, when I go into coaching, for example, I can tell the I know what the students are feeling because I've been there and done it myself. I know what it's like to be confident. I know what it's like to be nervous. I know what it's like to travel. So when I'm teaching students of different levels, I actually know what it feels like. I'm not just some guy that just learned how to teach and just use that opportunity only. I've actually got the emotional aspect to it behind my belt, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, no, that, that completely makes sense. Um, seven days a week when you started coaching, how did you, how did you get to do that? That would, that would kill, kill you trying to work that hard. Um, Look, my father's, my mother, they've always worked hard and I've watched them since I was a young kid working really hard. So it was just, you wake up, you go and do it, you finish, you go home, you eat, you watch some TV or read a book or whatever you do and then start again. Like, what else am I going to go do? Do you know what I mean? What Go see a movie at the cinemas? Well, that's not really going to cut it. So I put my energy and my focus into my coaching and made sure that I was ready for anyone that was in front of me. Okay. If you had your time over again, do you think that would change? Would you do it a bit, a bit, would you change the, the tactic for building your clientele or would you still go at that seven days a week? No, I'd still go seven days a week. I wouldn't change that. Um, I used to work in the pro shop as well. So I'd be working in the pro shop a few hours and, you know, I'd be speaking to the members when they finished their rounds or be, began their rounds. So it showed like, you know, if you finish your round, how'd you go? Oh, 30 points. What happened? Oh, I putted bad or I drove it bad or I sliced it or whatever the case may be. And because I'm then I'm communicating with them, they're, they're saying, well, someone cares, so maybe I'll give this guy a chance. And the more conversations I had after the round, it helped me build more business because that's the time where they're sort of more vulnerable with their game. I want to talk about the game, want assistance for the game. So if someone's there to help them, then um, there's a perfect opportunity to build a, build a lesson. Okay, no, that 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 completely makes sense. Um, you said you got coached early on by Gary, and he's obviously yes. a pretty high-profile coach in Australia. Absolutely. How did the coaching work as a player then? Was it more about range coaching? Were you on the course a lot with Gary, or how, can you talk me through your experience as a as a player with Gary? So, as a player with Gary, obviously, I'd travel up from Canberra in the morning, have my two-hour lesson generally. Like, it started with about, I think, an hour or so to start off with, but then we got to two hours, maybe a bit longer at times. Uh, mostly, it was more about recording the swing, having a look at the swing, um, hitting shots, just making sure the technique was under control where I could build confidence. Excuse me. We would go onto the course and we would uh, hit shots, so fades, draws, low shots, high shots, you know, drivers, bunker shots, putting, we would do those on the course because it's one thing to stay on the driving range and work on technique, but, you know, as we did with Gary, you need to go on the golf course and actually hit the shots when you're under pressure and you actually have to hit a three-quarter shot or a full shot or, a, you know, punch or whatever it is. So it helped me um, golf the ball, as people say. I'm not just hitting a shot. I'm just sort of trying to get the ball where I need it to go. So um, it was a balance of both. Uh, we obviously did putting and you know bunkers and chipping and stuff like that. So we addressed all areas with Gary at the Australian. 
which is cool. Um, yeah. Do you still get to spend time with Gary now? Do you still keep in touch with him with regards to your coaching or just in I, general? I haven't, I haven't seen Gary as much since I've moved to Sydney, would you believe? So now as a teaching pro at the Lakes, you'd think I'd see Gary more and I probably want to do that more, but he's got a pretty busy schedule himself with players that he has overseas, so he's not around as much. Uh, my schedule's sort of getting uh, busier as well, which is nice, but uh, I probably should, you know, lean into him, lean out to him a little bit more and try and have a chat here and there because he was a very important part of my growing up with my uh, playing and my coaching. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you said you 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 used to try to play for a while and you got into coaching. So we're talking what time, year, 2000 and what did you start coaching? I started coaching uh, just after my last European tour school. Uh, so I came back and so it was probably around about 2009, I think I started uh, coaching. Okay. So you said you bought some you bought some tools. You bought Trackman, yep. K Vest and you said Sam Putlab? Sam Putlab, yep, that's it. That would correct. have been pretty early to those tools actually coming out and being accessible without costing a stupid amount of money. Oh, uh, it was a stupid amount of money back then, so I'll give you the tip <laughs> to someone who's sort of just starting out. You know, Trackman right now is a slim sort of launch model, but back then it's probably uh, the size of my lunchbox, do you know what I mean? It was pretty thick and big, but they've sort of slimmed it down a bit now. And it was expensive back then. And to change models, it cost the same amount of money again. Uh, but I saw it as, uh, and again, with Cavus and, so, and Sam Putlab, I saw it as an investment. I didn't see it as, geez, I'm spending a lot of money here. It was more like, I want these programs. I, I looked them up. I researched everything. I thought, right, I need these. These are the best. I want to give my students the best information. So... Closed my eyes, pulled the credit card out, and off we went. <laughs> How did you get that cash back? Did, did it, obviously, it's a, it's a significant um, cash to put out there to start with. It, it was, and um, I'm not even. I don't even like. I don't even want to know if I'm up or down. I just know that I've got the from the products there, and that's what it is. Yeah, which 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 I think is an extremely. Um, brave thing to actually do you've spent this huge amount of cash when you've your first time out there i'm sure you weren't rolling in money after trying to play tour overseas for a few years as well so no so i mean and that's where like as i said i saw it as an investment and i you know i did what i did when i played and it was just simply like uh, i need to go all in with what i'm doing as i do with anything that i do it's like 100 percent. am i going to play am i going to coach whatever i'm doing i'm doing it 100 percent. so it was sort of a no-brainer basically so I, I felt like I, did. I bought a fancy camera, a fancy Casio camera, which uh, Gary Bart obviously advised me on which one to buy. So I went and bought the same one as him. So I thought if it's good enough for him, it should be good enough for me. I think when I first started coaching, I bought, a, I think, a 3,000 computer. I spent on a computer. I spent about the same amount on a, on a camera. And I, and I thought I was crazy spending that much money on my coaching. And then I think software back then was probably 1,200 bucks just to get Swinger, yeah. I think, was the the thing to use. Yeah. Um, then, and I thought I spent a huge amount of money getting started. For you to spend that kind of money, it's um insane. Well, it's it's just. I mean, it's just you know how much do we want to outlay? I mean, some people want to outlay a lot, and some people don't. It doesn't mean just because I have it, I'm going to give the best lesson in the world. It just means that I understand it, and it's just a matter of me then performing as best I can. You know, just because someone's got an iPad or an iPhone teaching doesn't mean they can't teach. It just it just means that I've got more information to back up what I'm saying. That's more the point with the technology. And that that, that probably heads into my the the question I had is what was the learning curve like on that tech? So you've you've got these great U Butte pieces of equipment. Yeah. Was it a steep curve to learn how to see the info coming through and applied in the in a coaching session yeah like uh, i had to um i went to queensland to see henry brunton so i can actually um understand caver so i went and had sessions with him a few times so i could work and then obviously come back to well i was in canberra at the time and you know trial and error if you want to put it that way on myself and a couple of students who are willing to be my guinea pigs at the time uh with trackman i had uh nick tuttingham yeah i think he's down in melbourne I think it's at Brighton Lakes, I think, down in Melbourne. Not sure, right? not sure. Yeah, but he's, anyway, and so he would help me with that. And uh, I, I went to a seminar that Trackman was actually giving in 
Sydney at the time and so learned from there. And again, trial and error. I was hitting shots myself and trying to understand how the information was coming out and so I could apply it to my students. Okay. Um, is there anything that you would change from that? So did you screw up a few early on by giving them too much data? Yeah, I feel sorry for the uh, people that I was teaching at the beginning. So to all those who had lessons from me at the start, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Myself, um, I, 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 I yeah. say the same thing as well. But I feel I've um, moved forward with that and I feel my lessons now, um, obviously, like as we learn every day, they're getting better and better. Yeah. Um, and, and, as, you know, and with those programs, KVS TrackMan and Sam Putlab, they have accreditations to go with them. So I'm level two accredited with TrackMan, so I've done study with that. Uh, level one with... Um, KVEST and I'm level two with Sam Putlab. It's certainly changed now because you can certainly access that 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 training straight away. As yes. soon as you buy those those pieces of tech, you can get in there and start to train in it straight away and un- get to understand how to apply it, which is which is really cool. Yep. Um, so talk me through how you've set up your coaching. You're obviously at a private club and a pretty good private club in Sydney. So how have you set up your coaching programs there? In the sense of how have I gone about my coaching? Or? Yeah, yeah. Or are you, because there's obviously on the podcast so far, we've had a few different coaches and they've spoken about doing private lessons or doing subscription based oh, okay. coaching or six month plans or three month plans. Have you set up anything special there or are you just kind of doing this, this standard type of coaching? No, no. I have programs for members. Uh, you know, for example, at the moment, <laughs> as we're coming out of COVID, but uh, you know, it was meant to be a program for, you know, the road to the club championship, you know. So if someone bought a package of, I think, 13 sessions, which were, you know, short game stuff like chipping, putting, bunkers, pitching, all that type of stuff, through to TrackMan sessions, putt lab sessions, KVA sessions, uh, and then obviously a few on-course sessions because, as I said, it's fine to do it all in the driving range, but you need to get out on the golf course and actually, um, you know, get out there and play the shots under the pump, basically. So... Uh, to be honest with you, um, if you ask me ratio-wise or percentage-wise, would I spend more time, say, on a driving range and, you know, chipping green, stuff like that, versus the golf course, which one would I do more? I would say if I had my own golf course, I would spend uh, probably 80% of the time on the golf course. Um, obviously, we don't have the luxury of that. I mean, not too many people have the luxury of that, but I feel the more people can have their lessons on the golf course, the more they can try things that's different to the practice um, fairway, practice green, whatever, because, you know, for example, at the lakes, there's a lot of water there. So if you're standing in the middle of the fairway, uh, you've got to deal with the bunkers that are in front of you, the waters that's to the left of you or in front of you or to the right of you. So you don't have that imagery when you're standing on the golf, on the driving range, even though you can create it in your mind, it's still not there. It's not the same as standing on the, say, the 14th hole at the lakes where you've got to hit a 200 meter shot over water, like that's a bit different because as soon as you hit a bad shot, your own golf ball is going to go in the water. Whereas if you stuff up a driving range ball, it doesn't matter. So, um, I offer sort of programs where we go onto the golf course, there's course lessons and stuff like that. Obviously we have one hour lessons, half hour lessons. Um, I do have programs that are specialized to individual students. So, uh, could be a beginner lady might have a certain program, someone who wants to be a tour player, they have a different programs. So, I have structured, customized programs for um, different people who want them. Okay, that's cool. And um, the uh, episode that just came out with Paul Williamson, we were talking about getting on course, and he's his coaching is essentially all on course, and he does that. And I asked him a similar question, and I'm curious to know what your answer is as well. Do you get much pushback from players that come to you for coaching that say, "Just teach me the my perfect swing on on the on the range instead of going on the course." Um, I do get people that come to the, to the facility and they want to have a lesson on making their swing look, you know, really good or look like Adam Scott or Tiger Woods, whoever you want to choose. Uh, but there's a point where I turn around and, I, and, and, and like the person that's having the lesson is the boss. I'm not the boss. The person having the lesson is the boss. But there's a point where you have to turn around to the boss and say, Hey, just saying this is my recommendation as I'm the golf pro here. So I say to them, look, we're not all six foot tall. We're all not built like He-Man. You know, we all have our different shapes and sizes. We've got to work with the best of what the player has. And I say that in a lot of ways because I put up, I don't, I don't, when I give lessons, I don't really put up 
videos of Tiger Woods, Adam Scott, and so forth. If anything, I compare it to other people of their level or someone that they know that I teach that maybe it can be a comparison because I don't believe there is a perfect swing. Science might want to say something different. That's what KVS and TrackMan, they'll say there is there's something in that. But I don't think Dustin Johnson's backswing is perfect. I don't think John Daly's backswing was perfect. Yeah, he's won two majors or won two majors. Um, there's a lot of players out there that look, let's say, funky. Well, you look at Jim Furyk. You know, he's the only player to ever have shot 58 and 59 while on the PGA Tour. And if you saw him on the driving range, you wouldn't say, geez, I want to swing. I, don't, I want my swing to look like him. I want to hit the ball like him, but maybe not look like him. So I always try to get my students to look or perform the best they can with what they have. And if they feel they want to do more, then I say, cool, go see a trainer, go see a physio, make your body the best you can make it. And then we'll talk about what we can do with your swing going forward from there. But again, you know, I might want to lose five, 10 kilos and put on muscle. That's not going to happen in a week. That takes time. So it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And there are people that understand that and appreciate that and will go through that process. And there's other people that just want the quick fix and don't understand that there is a process to getting better. So much common sense in there, but I'm curious about it. And this is something that I've always, I haven't struggled with, but it's taken time to get to a point. When you see those guys that have those weird looking swings, um, how do you do? You, how do you come to the conclusion of which things need to change? Um, I usually ask them. So, what level of golfer do you want to become? So, if someone says to me, "Charles, I just want to play off ten, then they don't need to strike the ball, say, as well as Tiger Woods. They still need to have some sort of consistency. They need to have a good short game, so to balance it out. Because we're not always going to hit the fairway. So, you look at someone like Phil Mickelson. I mean, he doesn't hit too many fairways, but he's a Hall of Famer. Do you know what I mean? Like he's He's won majors, you know, so because he has a great short game. So the thing that I look at when I, when I see the players and depending on what they want, the main focus I talk about with them and try to improve on with them is their ball striking ability, their face angle. Because I feel if they can get their face angle correct at impact, then you could almost say it doesn't really matter what the path was to a degree. Don't get me wrong, path is very important. But if you can fix the face angle at the point of impact and have good compression, as long as you're aiming correctly, you're not going to be too far off the mark. So that's where I sort of focus from there and move my way backwards, if that makes sense. No, that completely makes sense. I think I've heard Andrew Rice say club face is king quite yep. a few often. So, Andrew, if you're listening, you're coming on my podcast sooner rather than later. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been trying to hunt him down for a while now. So that's that's right. definitely cool. Um, okay, so that's that's because it is a challenge because those weird swings that perform well, probably the hardest guys to actually coach if there are like a five handicap player with a strange looking golf swing it'd be hard to change the correct thing can't it so i don't so i sit there and i say um you're playing a five what you want to get down to scratch or one or something like that then i go we just need to work on your distance control better for example i'm not going to change your swing necessarily too much because you're already down to five so there's some good mechanics there then you look at their short game and go Maybe we need to make more putts from certain range. So you work on drills and stuff to work on their, on their putting or look at their up and down stats from, say, 50 metres, 20 metres, 70 metres, and then look at their up and down stats with bunkers and stuff like that. So you can clean shots up around the golf course to improve their game by doing that, which you don't need to be Superman to be able to hit a chip, but you might need to be Bryson DeChambeau to hit it 400 yards. Not everyone's Bryson. So I just work on what they can do physically with their full game and then I can focus on making them the best chip or the best part of the best bunker play because as I was saying you don't need to be the strongest person in the world to play a nice chip or hit a nice putt you just need to have good finesse and good awareness to be able to do those things no that completely makes sense that evaluation is so important with with students so is there is there a stats program that you tend to use with your students or do you do any sort of skills testing with them to find out uh, which areas need work I don't, I don't use programs as such. I have my own um, spreadsheet where I've got sort of keep, where people keep stats. It's an old form that I had where I've just updated a bit more where, you know, how many fairways did you hit, how many greens did you hit, how many pots did you have, up and downs, you know, and a few other details from there. Keep it very simple. And then from there, 
Um, you know, after they've had 10 rounds, or I analyze it after five and after 10 rounds, and we look at the percentages, you know, how many fairways we hit, putts, greens, all that stuff. Um, yes, we can talk about how many putts we're making from eight feet, five feet, three feet, 15 feet, and so forth, but I worry about that later down the track. I, I'm more about, let's just get the fundamentals right and see, are you hitting fairways? Are you hitting greens? Are you making putts when you, when you are on the green and how are your up and down stats going? So for me, just keep it simple for most people because most people that we teach, aren't accredited in TrackMan, KVS, and PuttLab like I am. They're just golfers. They just want to hit the ball straighter. They just want to just, we, they just want us to tell them what to do. For example, you know, I drive the car and everything like that. I know how to get from point A to point B. But if you talk to me about the mechanics of how the car works and the engine and all these things, like I've got no idea. So when I take my car to a mechanic, I say, hey, what's wrong? He tells me what's wrong. He'll say it in his language. I'll say, tell it in English so I can understand it. And then I just go with it. So same with students come to us, have golf lessons. We're the mechanic, we're the professional. They don't know all the lingo necessarily. So we need to try to simplify it after looking at a TrackMan, KVS and PuttLab and putting into simple terms where they understand what they need to do. And I think that communication works better than sitting there and talking in fancy words, making yourself sound fancy but they walk out with no idea of what you've just said, just <laughs> like a doctor. Do you know what I mean? Oh, what's wrong with me? Oh, that's all this fancy lingo. And you're like, just tell me what's wrong with me. So that's what golfers want and that's what I try to do. Makes sense. Um, you've got a wide um, client list, essentially. You coach anywhere from tour players all the way through to obviously people just starting out. You just said you have started programs as well. Is there any yeah. change to how you use the coaching tech based on the students standing in front of you? Yes. Uh, for example, I, I run a six month ladies program at the Lakes for beginner ladies. Uh, there's no way I'm putting a track man right in front of them and saying, right, let's hit some shots. Let's see what's going on. Um, and again, in the other sense, even when I have my tour player, I don't go right here for the lesson. Let me turn the track man on or the cavus or pull and get you going straight away. Uh, it depends on the player. It depends on the point I'm trying to make in the lesson. Uh, so that's when I'll bring out the technology. I could have the technology running the whole time, but I don't. I use it as a backup, as a confirmation of what I'm saying. If, if the technology broke down, that doesn't mean the lesson's broken down. The technology is there just to back up what I'm saying. And, you know, my eyes aren't 100% to be able to tell you that you just hit the ball 157 meters. So that's where we use a track man to tell us exactly how far your shots have gone and the spin and stuff like that. So obviously I can use that there, but. And with PuttLab, you know, I remember having a moment with um, Ian Triggs and Richie Smith. They presented at, a, at Terra Hills in Sydney at a golf course for a day. They're there for the whole day presenting to whoever wanted to come and listen. And at the end of the session, um, the group was asked, was about, I don't know, 50 of us in the class, maybe a bit more, that they asked who would like to drive Ian Triggs and Richie Smith to very accomplished coaches um, to the airport. Nobody put their hands up. Serious? So I put, serious. Wow. So I, put, I put my hand up and I said, yep, I'll take them. And fortunately for me, I live next to the airport in Mascot at the time. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take them. So as we're driving, obviously, I'm sort of starstruck having these two guys sitting in the back of my car as I'm driving to um, the airport. And obviously, we're talking a bit of golf. And, you know, I, I found a lot out of it. I found I got a lot out of their program. but I asked them a couple of questions about technology and one of the questions I asked was, how do you find putting? How do you find Sam Putlab? Because um, putting used to be the strength of my game when I used to play. So, but I never used that technology. I never had it when I was playing, but I still managed to be able to get the ball in the hole. So I said to them, you know, how do you find it? And I remember Richie Smith saying to me, you know, he was teaching, say, the Australian team, I think the Eisenhower team or something at the time. And he made a comment. So let's say there's 10 guys just for the sake of conversation. The guys that went and used Sam Putlab who got the great scores, you know, the 80, 90% on there versus the guys that, I mean, you've got to remember they're the best players in Australia, okay? So they're, good, they're getting good scores anyway. When they went out to the putting green and just did drills or putting challenges or just try to get stats, the guys that didn't necessarily have the highest scores but still perform well, outscored or outputted the other guy. 
And you might say, well, then what's going on there? Why? How can someone who has great scores on Sam Putlab not essentially beat, in putting terms, the guys that didn't score as well? And through our conversation, it's a simple answer. It's the human factor, the feel factor. Sure, you could have the best stroke in the world. You can go on Sam Putlab and have the best stroke, which obviously I train people to have as best strokes as they can have. But when you're looking at a six-foot putt downhill left to right, yes, you need to start the ball on the right line, but you need to know how hard to hit it. You need to have that feel. You need to have that, as they say, the eye in to be able to look at that and go, yep, this is how hard I need to hit it with my stroke. Now, if you look at someone like Tiger Woods's Sam Putlab data, it doesn't look perfect to the eye when you look at the, the path and face and all that stuff, but he sets up in a way that actually helps his cutting stroke, for example. Well, I'm not saying it's the cutting stroke in that bad term, but his, say, motion to get the ball in the hole. He knows what he's doing and he feels what he needs to do to make the ball go in the hole. So when I'm teaching people, I love to use Sam Putlab to show them how they're aiming and their path and face and all that, all, all that stuff. But I like to spend more time on the putting green to give them that sense of feel because you don't necessarily get good speed on Sam Putlab. You get good speed by putting on the putting green. And that's what I used to do when I was a kid. I just sat on the putting green and putted for hours and hours and hours to just get good feel, to just get my eye in, to just get used to seeing the ball going in the hole. And I feel that's what a lot of club golfers miss. They spend a lot of time on the driving lane smashing driver down and hoping it's going to go straight for the first tee shot at the lake. But they spend about five minutes on the putting green saying, yeah, I should be fine. They get on the first green at the lakes and they have three putts. And they come back and say, I had six, three putts for the round. And you go, yeah, of course. You, you have no sense of feel. Your technique might be okay, but you don't have a sense of feel. You don't have a sense of speed. So um, I know it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but uh, I think it's um, very important that people understand that there's more to it than just the technology. So when I'm teaching beginners through to professionals, you don't always need a technology. You just need to simp simply understand what the club feels like in your hands when you're hitting a driver, an iron, a chip, a putt or whatever because in the end, that's what's going to count is your feel. How good is your feel? And I feel when you talk to, let's say, a professional golfer versus a, a beginner golfer, the difference apart from technique is their awareness of themselves and their awareness of the club. That's apart from technique. That's the biggest difference between a beginner golfer and a scratch golfer. No, completely makes sense, and um, it is. It's 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 a, it's a killer out there for the average players. So you said before that the, the the client is in charge of the coaching session. So and you said you don't use the tech all the time. So no. do you have do you have clients that say please turn on TrackMan or please turn off TrackMan, and how do you handle that? Um, well, I have a particular student that I. Again, I give everyone the opportunity to use their technology so they can see what it is and whatever. Um, but I have a couple of students when, when they walk in, I turn it off. I simply say, no, nope, I mean, I'll use a video camera, maybe, like obviously to video their swings, but um, I don't want them to get in their own way. Like sometimes you can put the TrackMan numbers up and they're looking at all these, you know, characters there, all these aspects, just spin rate, path, face you know, low points, all these different facets. And um, they start worrying about why isn't my number this and that and whatever. Whereas if I have a quick glance and then just switch it off and tell them what they need to work on, be it a drill, be it a field, be it whatever, they will learn better. And there's others that need to see the numbers and they're happy to sit back and just listen and understand the concept rather than sort of try to tell me what's going on or try to become... Trackman accredited while they're in the lesson. We don't need to do that. So, um, again, I like videoing or so recording people's swings and there's a time and a place for that as well. You, you don't necessarily have to record every swing. There's some people that just like to learn by watching me demonstrate. There's other people that like to be put in the positions. There's other people that like to watch. So you've got to quickly find out which one it is that they are and then use the technology accordingly. Is there a preference for players that you prefer to coach? Do you like to have the tour player on the teaching tee all the time or you prefer to coach the people starting out or is there a preference? Uh, not really. I don't have a – for me, I don't have – I mean, obviously, you enjoy – so, you know, I was coaching Rowan Blizzard there when he was playing a lot of golf and 
you know, he's a great player and he won in China while, while I was teaching him and he finished 17th in the Australian Open. And I think he also shot 10 under, which was a course record at uh, Stonecutters in the New South Wales Open. I think it was in the third round when he was playing. And that's exciting. You know, you're behind the ropes with players like that and it's very exciting. You know, you're sort of reaching the top of golf in the world as a coach. You know, you're sort of behind the ropes where you always want to be. But in saying that though, you know, you know, one of my students, a Japanese girl that teaches Chizuru Ueda, who's playing on the China tour now, she, you know, she was a club champion at the lake. She won it three times. You know, she's got the lowest score at the club. Um, she's the girl I started teaching when she was about two or three handicap and she got down to a plus five handicap and got on the tour. Now, to get someone that was already a decent player, but to go to the next level and also perform and also win a professional event, um, is exciting. But then it's just exciting seeing someone improve their handicap from say 14 to single figures or to someone just simply iron out their drive and just hit it a bit further or improve their putting or get rid of their yips or whatever the case may be. So I enjoy it all, but I have a butt that goes with every single one of them. I don't care who it is. Doesn't matter if it's a tour player or a beginner or someone in between. It, if you're not going to sit there and listen and openly communicate in a fashion where you're trying to learn, then I don't care. Because you can't learn if you're telling me what's going on, why are you paying me the money you're paying me for an hour or two hours, whatever with me? That's, that's wasting our time. I want people that want to listen, that want to learn, that ask questions so they can learn. But there's no benefit for them coming in there saying, I just read the latest magazine or saw something on YouTube and I want to do it like that. Or they said that and they said this and whatever. It's like, well, if they said this and that, then what are we doing here? So I feel if you want to learn, and I find it over the, what, 10, 12 years that I've been coaching, the ones that truly listen, the ones that truly take on board what the coach is saying, they're the ones that actually progress and you see the other ones in their rearview mirror. Love it. I absolutely love that because it's such a, a pain to coach those guys that don't want to. They've, they've already done their own study, so to speak, and they've come to yeah. you and said, here's my problems, you just fix them. They can't. They, those kind of golfers can't improve. So I, well, I, they I don't. get that. And, well, you don't. Like, I mean, you know, I see members at different clubs that I've known for over 10, 20 years, you know, from a junior at, say, Royal Canberra, even members at the Lakes and other clubs. The handicap's stagnant. You know, if it's improved maybe by one shot or gone out by a shot, like it's stagnant because they're trying the tip of the day. And that's fine. If they want to try the tip of the day and that's what they want to do, that's cool. But they're not going to get any better. It's the ones that actually work hard and go through the marathon, even though it's hard work. As we all know, if you work hard and with the right advice, you're going to get to the end and you're going to be successful. It's the ones that want to get fixed in one day and the lesson didn't work in a day. They... I'm going to be successful and it is what it is. Like, I mean, I know it sounds very blunt and I'm pretty straightforward in my approach. I like to get results and it has to be done with hard work. So it's, I mean, if you pick it up quickly, that's great. If you don't, then that's normal. That's most of us. You know, the ones that pick it up quickly, they're the, they're the rare case. They're the less than 1% in the world that pick it up quickly. You know, I remember Peter Lonard giving a story about Tiger Woods when he was playing. And I hope Peter doesn't mind me saying this story. Tiger Woods, so Peter went to play, I think, a pro-am or something in America, a tournament, and he's playing the course, and in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, Tiger Woods is playing a flop shot to a short, short-sighted pin. You know, Peter saw him, no worries, there he is, Tiger's getting shots, no problem. Tiger, uh, Peter goes and has a bit of a warm-up, goes and plays 18 holes, comes back, and Tiger essentially is in the same spot playing the same shot. Now, we could all say, oh, maybe he went and had a bit of a, you know, a part or hit a few shots, maybe did something and then came back and just coincidentally was in the same spot. Anyway, so Peter left and he went and got changed and came back and apparently there was a function that night, maybe it was a pro-am or a charity event or something, so he came back. And it must have been daylight savings and then Tiger was still there playing the same shot. So you're thinking about his day in the morning, Peter's played around, he's come back later on, Tiger's still there. And... It just happened there was a greenkeeper floating around or someone and he goes, is it just coincidentally I'm seeing Tiger there or what's going on? He goes, he's been in the same, he's been there the whole day playing the same shot. Now that sounds boring to a lot of people, but then 
when you see tigers up and downs on tough flies, tough shots, tough pins, it comes back to moments like that. You know, people say, oh, I can just go chip for five, ten minutes or even half an hour. That's nothing. You know, people need to learn that it takes a lot of hard work on one area for one day, maybe a whole week just on working in one area before you start to actually improve your technique. Actually start improving your feel, start improving your, you know, your awareness of how hard or how soft you need to hit the shots. And that applies to everything, putting, chipping, driving, bunkers, whatever the case may be. So for those who think they can fix it in a day or a half hour lesson, um, you know, I don't see too many brain surgeons reading a manual and becoming brain surgeons at the top of their field after just one night of study. So I don't think golf is much different in that sense. No, that, again, complete sense. But that's a that's a cool story about Tiger spending hours and hours trying to hone that one shot. So yeah, it was obviously a shot he's identified as being hard him at that current stage, or a shot yeah. that he had to play at that course. Maybe it was something he was getting ready for the Masters. Maybe he thought he was going to play a lot of high soft flop shots, for example. Do you know what I mean? So maybe it was a chip that he chipped in to uh, win the Masters that year. You know, yeah, the, maybe the famous chip on sixteen. Who knows? Do you know what I mean? So. Maybe. Um, just changing path slightly, um, socials. Do you spend much time getting your, your ideas out there on social media? Um, I never really was into social media uh, when I started coaching. Um, I only got into uh, social. I got into Facebook because one of my friends dared me that I couldn't get a certain amount of <laughs> friends on there. So I was like, oh, okay. So and that happened anyway. But I never really used it until I got in, I got to the lakes. Um, it was more, people were, I won't get into the story of how it happened because. Come um, on, share the story, share the story. No, I don't really like, I don't like the story and I, I, it's not, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I could, no, I don't like the story. It's basically, um, I like my students performing well and doing the best they can. They know if they've done well. They'll tell their friends that they've done well. People know who's coaching them. So word of mouth is probably the best best way of um, communicating if someone likes you as a coach and to create business. Uh, I use social media at the lakes um, because, or I use social, I shouldn't say at the lakes. I'm at the lakes now, but I use social media because it's more about there's a point where people like to uh, show themselves that they have achieved. Oh, geez, I made single figures or I won the club championship or whatever. And it's nice as a coach to sort of talk about them and highlight their successes um, because that's what everybody does nowadays. Like you go have a nice dinner at a restaurant and next minute those photos of you at the restaurant are on social media. So, um, you know, it's nice to show you know, highlight basically, it's probably the best, I don't want to say show off, but I think highlight the successes that uh, students have made. Um, it makes them look good. It makes them feel good. It, in a way, it makes me also look good as a coach that we've achieved this. Um, so yes, I do use Instagram and Facebook to promote those um, because again, you know, people like to feel, geez, they had 43 points and won the comp at the lakes, for example, you know, they want to show that so i i do yes no that that, that does make in a long-winded way yeah no, no that, that 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 certainly makes complete sense but i was curious because i've i've seen this on the lakes site that you've got a couple of videos up there talking about yeah. your coaching ideas and talking about uh, yeah. your coaching philosophies and putting them yeah. out there prior yeah. to anyone turning up yeah. um how has that been received by clients is that a positive for you or was that cost you clients do you think maybe in the in the future uh oh uh, costing gaining uh, could be a bit of both um you know it's like someone going through a library of things and going okay well this guy or this girl is saying this is how you should have your fundamentals and based on what they saw on YouTube or a golf magazine, they might like it, they might not like it, and they will either come to you or not come to you. Um, yeah, like, you know, if I'm looking at a car and I see these things say it's M3, M4, M5, or Mercedes or BMW, whatever the case may be, those words sound nice, but I don't know which one's necessarily better than the other. They look nice to me. I'll just go with the one that 
looks best, for example. Now, having my, <coughs> excuse me, my philosophies and thoughts up there, um, people might say, yeah, that makes sense. Or they may say that might, might not make sense. I mean, it is what it is. As I say, if I, you know, I say to people, you don't have to like me. You don't have to, um, become my best friend, but I'm here to help you become the best player you can become. I've done the research that I've done to make me the best coach that I am right now. Um, that's all I can do. And if someone wants to embrace that, great. If they don't want to embrace it and go see somebody else, then that's part of their adventure, if you can put it that way. Um, it is what it is. All good, all good. I was just, I was just curious because it's strange. Mm. It isn't strange. It's unusual to see someone put their ideas straight out there prior to yeah. someone coming uh, and seeing you. Yeah, I mean... At least they know what they're in for. <laughs> fair point, fair point. <laughs> in some um, regard anyway. Yep. <laughs> but a common theme in, in your in your social posts that I've seen floating around is <laughs> being PGA proud, which I think is a really cool thing. You certainly seem to value yeah. having that PGA badge. Yes. Um, can you talk me through the appeal of having that PGA brand attached to you? I mean, I worked hard for that, and I'm sure everybody that has the brand um, has worked hard to a certain degree. Every, every, everybody been all relative. Um, for me, it's such an important brand because for the golfing world, they do so much. Um, you can go be a tour player, you can go be a pro-am player, you can be a coach, a general manager, run your own pro shop, do whatever you want to do. And I value it um, a lot. Um, it's basically everything to me and that's why um now it's, I, I don't know if you're aware i'm actually the um the chairman of the new south wales act uh committee i don't know if you're aware yeah, of I, that or I not saw that floating around yep yep and um it's quite an honor to go and be in that position and it's only just recently we've been doing um intakes for applicants who want to be associates now so trainees back in the day and you know when I go through the process, one of the things that's important to me is attitude. And I say that to my students anyway when I'm teaching them. It's all about attitude, having the right attitude, doing it for the right reasons, and wanting to be there as a PGA member at the end and making the brand be as strong as it is. You know, like in any industry, there's always going to be a couple of clowns here and there. You can't help that and you know they'll weed themselves out of out of the industry one way or another but for the most part in the pga group we're all very passionate about what we do we love the brand and we try to do everything for the brand so for me um i'm fortunate to be in this position and i want to do the best i can um as someone said uh to me today as i was sort of going through a few people it was geez charles you're you're pretty but they asked me you know what do you think of person A, B, C, D, and I was like, oh, they're okay. Um, but, you know, I want great, I want greatness in our brand. So I want people that love it and are passionate about it and are doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, mate, that that, that sounds really cool. And I'm, I'm certainly proud of having that PJ badge attached to myself as well. And it's something that I'm always going to hang on to. As a as yeah. a coach, I don't think I'll, I'll ever give that up any any time. Um, no. It's certainly cool that you put your hand up to um, to be on that committee. You get to sit through vocational council stuff now and all sorts of things. Being the chairman, so that'll keep you busy. Um, yeah, which is cool. But I'm you've also been involved with trainee schools and associate schools in the past. How did you find speaking to the trainees over the years? Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that in the past. That was great. Uh, you know, I was able to see who's coming through and it's very easy to see, again, attitude. You know, you ask questions to the group or you watch the group as you're sort of presenting and you can see who's willing to listen and learn and then you can see the ones that are sleeping. Maybe that's because it may be a bit boring, who knows? But in the end, the ones that are sleeping or not really paying attention, they don't pass and they wonder why. And then you look at the other ones who do pass and do get jobs at various golf courses, and the ones who are sleeping that somehow actually might have managed to pass go, how come they got the job and I didn't get the job? Or how come they're coach of the year and I'm not? Or how come they're, you know, successful and I'm not? As I said to you at the start, 
<coughs> when we talked about working seven days at Royal Canberra, nothing happens unless you work hard. And those associates now have three years to work their butt off to be the best they can be when they come out of the program. You know, I had an associate <coughs> um, about a year or so ago. Uh, he was in his third year of the program, so the last year of the program, and I was uh, a mentor in the program, so certain as the trainees in the time would come and I had to assess them on club fitting or giving a lesson, so then, you know, they've ticked that off before they go into the real world. And this one associate came and did a club fitting. And, you know, I sat there and I watched it and he brought one of his clients from his club and I had to stop it halfway, not even halfway through, I had to stop it because it was poor, it was below standard. And I said to him, I said, look, I'm really sorry, you know, you might have to do this again like you didn't pass today. And I know I sound tough and I'm mean or whatever, but I'm just trying to get the best. Everyone said, PGA Brown, I love it. And I want everybody that's in it to be great. So I said to him, you didn't quite pass. You didn't make it. And he said, then why not? And I said, well, you missed this, you missed that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I sort of showed him the fundamentals that he missed. I'm not saying he has to club like the best club in the world, but he just needs to show at least some sort of fundamentals. Like someone's paying him a hundred bucks plus to do a club fitting and spend $2,000 plus on a set of clubs. You want to be getting the right information. <coughs> and I said, how many of these have you done? So I remember he's in his third year. He's about to pass, essentially. He's about to go into the real world and give a club fitting to someone or a lesson to someone. In this case, in club fitting. And he goes, oh, I've watched one or two and I've given a couple. And I said, and this is how you, you did it? And he goes, yeah. I said, you had three years to make your technique, your skills in club fitting really good and this is all you got to show. And he goes, well, I was going to do it once I passed. I mean, that's it. And I said, yeah, I don't like that answer. So come back again. You know, and I said that when, when they had to do, you know, lessons as well, because remember, somebody's paying. So somebody unknown, a club member is walking up to their pro that they're friends with or get along with and say, I want a lesson or a club fit with, right? And they're paying that person money for a lesson or a club fit and they're expecting good information, right? So if the professional isn't giving them satisfactory information, or at least in my, what I like to say in everybody, above standard, you know, excellent information, then it's not good enough. Because what will happen is those people then not go see their club pros anymore. They'll go to those independent sort of club fitting um, businesses, which I don't really want to name on here. and get whatever they get and they pay more for it instead of getting the friendly supporting service from their local golf pro at their own golf course. So um, I'm pretty tough in that way. And again, it's only because I want the, the applicants, the, sorry, the associates that are coming through the program to meet the standard that you and I and other PJ members would expect. You know, I, you know, I'm sure Gavin Kirkman would expect all of his PJ professionals out there in the world, you know, providing the best information they can. And so we've got to educate them to be at that level and to understand to be a PJ member, you need to be at this level. Makes sense. Makes makes complete sense to me. And, yeah, I think it is important that we do train them up properly and get them out there doing doing super jobs out there. Yeah. So, mate, I could keep you here all night, but I've got five questions I'd like to ask everybody on the show that sure. comes in. So. Yep. Um, apart from doing more club fitting, what advice would you have for coaches starting out out there? I think, you know, there's some coaches that actually like to specialize in certain areas, be it short game, long game, whatever, that's fine. But I think the best information I can give, especially those who are going through the, you know, the membership pathway program, as it's called, is go watch as many coaches that you know around your area coach and try to learn from them as best you can. You know, ask them questions. Try a few things out. Just learn about the game as best you can. Because like my first lessons, I feel sorry for those people. But you improve as you go. As I said, with all the programs and everything that I've done since then. But as you're coming out of the program, try to be as best, you know, as well knowledge as you can as you're coming out of the program. And even then, even now, for me, I still go see, um, you know, I want to go see Richie Smith. You know, I want to spend time with him so I can learn more about him. You know, he's got great amateurs and great professionals. I learn more from him. I've gone and, 
you know, listen to seminars from Dr. Robert Neal. I've gone and listened to Mike Adams. You know, I've had coaching from Gary Barter, as I said to you earlier. I went and saw a seminar with Ian Triggs and um, Richie Smith. You know, you're always learning. And if you're not always learning and always trying to grow what you already know, then you're going backwards and everyone's just going to overtake you. It completely makes sense. Now, you've brought up Richie Smith a few times there. Richie, answer your emails. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while now, and he won't answer emails. So I right. might have to try and chase him up a bit more and get him on here because he'll be a great he, – he went through that program about the same time as I did and um, oh, yeah. was a super player also and also turned out to be a super coach. So Great coach, yeah. He'll be a great a great conversation. Um, so, yeah, those, those kind of comments come up quite often in that question. So I certainly encourage coaches starting out to spend time with other people as much as you can. Yeah. What about advice for golfers out there? What would you say to them? Golfers, golfers of all levels um, – Choose your coach, trust in your coach, work hard with your coach. I understand there's a million coaches that go try, you know, pick and choose, just like going to restaurants. But if you want to improve as a golfer and you want to get the best out of your game, and you'll see with all the, all these top players that have succeeded, generally most of them have stuck by their coach that they've started with and they've worked hard with them. Um, you know, uh, I could, you know, Jason Day could be a good example, for example, you know, we could start with, but. Go, go try a few out. Once you're comfortable with one, stick with them. And if you have issues with your coach, you feel you're not getting better or whatever the case may be, communicate with your coach so you can actually both be on the same wavelength. Don't go home and say, oh, geez, I want to tell Charles that I don't understand. Well, tell Charles. Tell whoever it is that you don't understand or you don't get it or why aren't you improving so then you can improve. Because if you're not listening to the coach or you're trying to do it your own way or if something's not right, you're not going to get any better. If you just sit there and beat your head against a brick wall, doing the same thing over and over again, it's not going to suddenly magically happen. You need guidance. So if you're not getting it, speak to your coach, be open with your coach. We're there to listen and there to help. Great advice. Great advice there. Is there anything that you would change in your coaching career so far? Is there anything that you would do and change in the past? Apart from doing seven days a week, you'd probably cut that back a little bit, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, I actually, you know what? Like, I know it sounds like I wish I could do seven days now. Like, I mean, you know, I get, I've been told that I have to do my five days and I have to go rest on the other two days so I can be fully fit and ready. But um, golf is my passion and um, I'll take a holiday if I need to, if I need a rest. But, um, you know, I, I'd probably go um, to more events. I'd probably make more time to go to more events um, and watch players overseas a bit more and, uh, maybe go see coaches overseas a bit more. But you know what? We've got some great coaches here, as I said, like Richie Smith and Gary Barter and Ian Triggs and, you know, these guys that I've been around with. So, um, you know, they've, 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 they've made me the coach that I've become. You know, I have to – I will take a second and say I have to thank Nigel Wilson for getting me into the program and supporting me and being there as I was a junior at Royal Canberra. I have to thank Gary Barter for – coaching me and helping me and mentoring me as I was playing and even now as a coach, he gave me opportunities. Um, but, you know, it, it's all hard work. And, you know, they, uh, you know, uh, fortunate enough, I was able to get, you know, presented with two times coach, state coach of the year in 2013 and 2020. Um, it's something that I'll remember forever and I'll value forever. But those things don't happen and those things wouldn't get me to where I am working at the lakes and working with the people I do if it wasn't for those people that I just mentioned. No, that is, it is cool to show that gratitude. I think we all have people in our past that have helped us get to where we are now. So yeah. I think it's very good of you to, to show that. Um, you can answer this either twice or once. Um, five years' time, do you see yourself in a certain spot or coaching in general in five years' time? Do you see that changing? Um, I don't see myself changing from coaching. It's something that I want to do for the rest of my life and something you can do as a, you know, later on in your life. Um, I want to be at the lakes and I want to be coaching the members and the visitors that come to the lakes. It's got great facilities there and great people that I work with. Um, again, I have to thank, you know, the general manager there, Andrew Kirkman. Um, you know, he's the one that employed me and gave me the opportunity to, to basically be where I am. Um, if I didn't have the opportunity, Obviously, still, I'd be at Royal Canberra, which is a great place, and I love it there, but he's brought me closer to people like Rowan Blizzard and, um, you know, Chizuru Ada and lots of other people that I teach. Um, so um, in five, ten years, hopefully I'm teaching maybe more 
professionals that want to play or more players that want to get on tour. Uh, hopefully I'm creating more club champions and just simply growing the game because, as I said, I've got a ladies program, so getting more women into the game. Makes, makes complete sense. Now, where can people find you if they're after some coaching? Obviously, the Lakes Golf Club is where you're based, so I'm assuming yep. you've got a site there. I'll put some links to that in the show notes. Yeah, so um, there's, there's the Lakes website, so you can you can go there and check out um, what we have to offer there, so our teaching facility, which is fantastic. Um, you can contact me, so you can have my email or my mobile and contact me. Uh, you can also ring the golf club and um, make a booking through uh, the club that way. Okay, I will put some links to all that stuff in the show notes. We'll put some links to your socials, yeah. even though you're not into it completely. No, we'll no, I am. Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. Like, I do it. I think it's great, and I, and I love highlighting the results that people are getting. Um, I wasn't into it at first, but I sort of embraced it and sort of build a, sort of a, a following, if you want to put it that way. I mean, it can obviously be bigger, so obviously the better I do, the more following you get. But um, I actually love putting on there how our pennant teams are going or how our you know, our juniors are going or how just individual students are going. It, it, it's something that I am um, enjoying more as I go. Mate, I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for coming in and talking to me. Awesome conversation. Um, yeah, I've always enjoyed talking coaching with, with good coaches and you're certainly one of those. So I appreciate your time tonight. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate you inviting me.